podcast from Crew on a Mic is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. When Flora suggested I should speak with her brother, I had no idea about the beautiful world of music that she was presenting to me. This episode is therefore going to follow a different structure to my usual episodes, because I have to follow the art. I cannot try to mould beauty to fit my purposes. Have a listen. You'll see exactly what I mean. Oh, Miss Das. Gladi Dwayne. Gogni. Original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Etijana nilikata sana. Pombe tu zabure zilirarubana. Zikupanga nilijipata mchana. Mizinga kama sita sema shash wasichana. Kila kona bilane, bilane, bilane. Bilane. Bekumoko bilane, 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 dogne, bilane Nyamalo kandeko weche lichirangane Pachote wa keto gipesa tokara pimane Kwetege yathjo, sigarabe, pokone Chumbi nyiri wonya game kogni, mapokone Pachalal, chuchunya bende, bayo kaparo Singo mani singa, sechega bende, kalo Tuchunya lendo, katichuanya top beer My dear, poda heri, katiketo na karia Kongo ni kupona weyo bed buta Pati mitki walk, si utajuta Chini kwa chini nyetindo kama kuukuta Kasi bizwe chemoko terkucha Eti jana nilikata sana Pombe tuzabure zilirarubana Zikupanga nilijipata mchana Mizinga kama sita sema shash wasichana Kila kona bilane, bilane, bilane Bilane, kichabe kumoko bilane, bilane, bilane Wow, that was amazing. Um, this is a demo version of a song and is the first time it's been played publicly. I'm very grateful to artist Omish Njash for his permission to do so. Omish is a writer, a songwriter, a singer, film producer, journalist, photographer. He is a storyteller, an extremely talented storyteller. During this episode, a number of different parts will kick in to address some of the topics we wanted to cover in the first episode together. The initial flowing chat was interrupted, but we found a way to round up some of the issues we wanted to talk about. I really enjoyed listening to Omish, and to chat with him live was such a pleasure. One I hope to repeat because his voice, his words, the thoughtful pauses between every utterance speak volumes for who he is, and at the same time can only hint at the depth of the world his mind has the capacity to create and present. Thank you so much, Ormish, for talking to me. Enjoy. I'm joined by uh, Omish and Jas from uh, Nairobi City. Omish, it's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? Fine, fine. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, yeah, first of all, I have to 
pass my gratitude on to Flora, who put us uh, into contact with uh, with one another. Um, so thanks a lot to her for that. Um, she she sent me a link which kind of talked about your, some of the things that you've done. Um, and to be honest, it kind of blew me away. Um, but yeah, do you want to give us a bit of a background as to, to who you are and all the talents that you've got as well? Whoa, I usually dread that question. I usually dread <laughs> being given that. Sorry. I, I, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm bad at, at, uh, at, at thumping my chest. <laughs> but uh, this is a podcast, so I guess we shall have to try. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll help you along if, uh, if, if you uh, forget something that I've written on the list here. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'd say uh, nowadays I just call myself a storyteller because uh, all the different things I do sort of at their root, there's a story or there's a story I'm telling. And under the ambit of storytelling, I do all these various things. I write literature. I write uh, articles of journalism. I make films, mostly short films. I make music, of which right now I'm working on a, a, a musical, a storytelling musical. And I also do theater. And of course, storytelling itself is a tradition. So. Uh, I ran an Airbnb experience until a couple of months ago where I used to tell to do storytelling to to guests. So the one or two things I could add, but I think that's fair. That's fair for now. Oh, and I also play the Nyatiti, which is a traditional Luo musical instrument. Okay. What kind of instrument would that be comparable with? Or is it completely uh, unique? It uh, is, it's... Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, a lyre. You know what a lyre, the traditional form of a lyre? With, I don't know. Uh, Sorry. The Nyatiti has eight strings. Uh, in the Bible, when they talk about King David playing a certain instrument, that was a lyre. Okay. Like, lyres are what eventually developed into guitars and banjos and all this string plant instruments that have yeah but so the the nyatitis are kind of uh it has a a, a a resonator which is made from uh, wood carved out of a, a log and then it has eight strings and i'd say it uses a pentatonic scale so it's a most of the time when when we when we learn how to I'm learning how to play it the traditional way and um, it's it has nothing to do with modern or European melodic scales it's just it's based on a traditional knowledge that's been passed down for a really long time and that's what attracted me to it fantastic I mean I I've listened to some of the music that you sent me and if I'm not mistaken please correct me um, but Nyakalaga mm -hmm. Raw has a guitar type sound is that the lyre that no, you're talking about it's no, okay. the it's bilane that has the 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 nyatiti playing in it okay there's the melody at the back 
Yeah, Bilane is the one that has Nyatiti in there. Ah, uh, Bilane, the, okay. Nyakalaga is a guitar, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Well, Bilane will be um, the one that people will have heard in the uh, introduction. Um, and I was thinking of doing perhaps uh, playing a bit of uh, Nyakalaga in the outro uh, so that people can also hear how you have uh -huh. fused the, the guitar uh, into your work as well. Um, but yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, so as you said, it's interesting as well because when I spoke with Flora, um, because she talked to me about the work that she does fundraising for African parks, and she also talked about stories and storytelling. And it's kind of through that discussion that she said, well, actually, if you want to talk about storytelling, you really should talk to my brother. Um, and so here we are. And yet yeah, one of the first pieces that I, I read about you was, in, was, I believe, an interview with another journalist who kind of introduced um, that you had just returned from the Somalian border. Uh, do you want to do you want to talk about this event, which uh, which occurred a few years ago? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, there were a group of artists and activists that uh, uh, I'd say that something really tragic happened at the border, which is that uh, terrorists attacked a university and uh, killed some students. And uh, in general, there was this curtain of. Uh, sort of like a lack of information. And uh, the, the anniversary was approaching and a, a group of activists and artists and institutions also felt that there hadn't been sort of a, a, a memorial event or any anything said or done, a prayer, or something done to honor the young people who fell. Uh, even though the government had proceeded to just uh, do the the usual uh, security response, but there's this other part of, of 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 the equation, I think, where where it it matters to say so and so uh, fell here, so and so was innocent, so and so should be remembered. So yeah. Uh, courtesy of the institutions we were working with, uh, particularly, I think it was Heinrich Ball, the German institution. Uh, yeah, uh, an event was planned that was like a commemoration, and uh, it included also the creation of a, a, a memorial monument that had the names carved on it, which I think was the first time since the happening that uh, something had been done to honor the students who fell. So, yeah. I was part of a group of uh, artists, photographers, writers, uh, musicians. Just we were asked to accompany uh, the group and to share. How do you say to perform? Mm -hmm. Almost something like the rites of, uh, of 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 their passing. So we did an overnight vigil during which we. We definitely did some storytelling and played music and some poetry. And the next day, there was this whole big memorial event, which unfortunately now was way more political than I would like. I would have liked to. But, you know, I feel like the part of it that I went for was the spiritual part. And, uh, yeah, I feel like that part was fulfilled. 
so that's that that's the event i was coming back from when i met him when he wrote the article yeah mm. yeah yeah um and, and also as we were kind of talking a little bit before the podcast you you mentioned that this kind of okay here you are obviously saying that you weren't there for the political side of things but that's your your political work or your polit political activism work um was mainly before corona and that since corona you you've kind of changed direction yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah before before corona the um the hub we were working at was both an activism as well as an art hub. And uh, those two things uh, came together in many ways uh, within that space. And that's also, actually, it was as part of, uh, you know, a group from that space that we had visited the, the university. But um, unfortunately, there was, uh, I think during Corona, a lot of funding for the arts dried out. A lot of art spaces weren't able to to kind of stay afloat and this particular place uh tragically lost their they lost they lost they had a theater they had a couple of floors and a rooftop a really nice venue for artists to meet and do all sorts of art related things so they lost that during covid and uh yeah when we came back after covid for a lot of artists, it was almost like coming back to find yourself sort of professionally homeless. And it's, since COVID, it's been about trying to find new spaces and about the old spaces trying to recover some sort of version of themselves, I think. Uh, yeah, I'd say for, for, the, uh, for the arts, it's been a bit difficult in, in, in Nairobi since COVID. And maybe just for some part, because I can't say I'm experiencing everything, but for the part I'm experiencing, it's a bit difficult to get. It seems that, and then economies are also a bit in a, on a downturn. It seems to me the arts always suffer first when that happens. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, unfortunately, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's one of those things, uh, but also um, it, it seems to me to be the case that, uh, at least from what I've experienced here, that when there is a shortage of funds, uh, then personal training, personal development, um, and these kinds of things are also cut. So it, it's very unfortunate, though, because in the kind of stressful, difficult lives that we face, people often find solace. And as you mentioned before, the expression of spirituality through communal art through music through stories uh, and for these things to be cut then a community loses uh, an important part of itself one one of the themes that uh, i believe is quite prominent and, and i think i got this from um, a, a blog that you may have written um but yeah. essentially the el elitism as it were of english or foreign languages in in african society is is this uh, is this a concern at the moment as well <laughs> um consider it a pet peeve <laughs> you know like a, a pet. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Consider it a pet peeve because personally, I, I I I'm I'm not very bad at using the Queen's language myself. You know, I can uh, hear that. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I have. 
I have to be quite decent at it in order to make a living as any type of artist, I, 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 I think, especially a writer. But at the same time, uh, one can't help. Uh, so le le let me tell you about uh, growing up in primary school, yeah? We had this thing called the disc. And uh, basically, there were, it, it was a form of uh, punishment. It was a, a, a block of wood, usually shaped in a very uncool or ugly manner. And uh, what used to happen is that in order for us to learn how to speak English properly, uh, we had to be taught to look down on speaking our mother tongues. So if you were found or heard speaking your mother tongue, this block would be hung around your neck and you would only get it off if you heard someone else speaking mother tongue and then you could give it to them. And at the end of the day, they would follow the chain of people who had uh, possessed the, the the disc all through the day and they'd be lined up and given a few strokes of a, a, a cane. So this is how we are taught English. This is how my generation is largely taught English, a bit brutally, you know? So yeah, maybe it's fair, it's just fair that I carry a little bit of resentment, especially because there are some people who kind of after that, you would say traumatic introduction to Western education, haven't been able to recover their mother tongues. I feel those are people who are almost robbed rather than people who are given a gift. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, it's unfair to to only give a gift if something else must die, you know? So yeah, maybe that's the basis of this uh, particular, you said, yeah, yeah, it's a feeling that I, I have expressed before. It's a feeling that I certainly carry. And even in my work, I do definitely dedicate work to the local languages. As you might have noticed, my music uh, oh, yes. is mainly precise and also i think the last the last three short films i did are also in the dolio language and i believe that yeah over time more people and not less are going to want to to switch to using and interacting in these languages and also what's funny is i think there's actually a depth of communication that my language at least can access that i'll find lacking in english uh, there are ways in which we can we use sound that English does not. Uh, I'll say, for example, something like intonation. I could say the same word and somehow let you know when I'm more worried about it. Like I could give it gradations of uh, of, of 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 intensity or of how. Let's say, run ringi. If I say ringi, it's casual, but I could say ringi, and it's urgent. And I feel like English doesn't have any such flexibility with pronunciation. If you pronounce it wrong, the word is wrong and the sentence. But with, with my language, I feel that, in fact, I feel part of the charisma that um, people sometimes detect from people who speak my language when we speak English comes from that other language influencing it. So yeah, there's 
probably things that English cannot do that some of these other languages can do. Uh, who knows what we are missing, relying so much on English and allowing it to kill off other the, some of the other ways we used to communicate. I I, I can only imagine, and I and I share that. Uh, I empathize with the pain because um, I mean, when I heard to when I heard the songs, Abilane uh, in particular, but also you know, Cinnamon, and uh, I'm gonna. Completely destroyed the pronunciation of, but Wamiya uh, Kodi. Uh, um, I mean, Wamiya Kodi. Wamiya Kodi. Let's dance yeah. with you. Yeah. I mean, the. Yeah. It's just fantastic. I mean, people will, I hope, come to hear them. Um, and I will play, okay, I'll have a couple of them here for this episode, but hopefully, future episodes, then I'll also play some more because. Um, I mean, my, I, for, as soon as my wife came home, I was like, look, come, 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 listen to this. And, you know, she put on the headphones and she, she, straight away she was like, yeah, you know, she was into the rhythm. Um, and <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I completely um, appreciate the, what you're saying. Next time video, I'll put it on my social media. <laughs> yeah, I will do. I will do. Um, but, uh, you know. You're so right because you know cult language. Because I, I, I'm ethnic Armenian, so um, yeah, uh, the Armenian, the way that Armenian culture has developed over three thousand years or so on, there's a the music has a certain flow, it has a certain wave to it, um, and, and and that wave is not reflected in other kinds of of music. So culture develops over centuries thousands of years in every culture i believe in every country um so your your culture which you express with your language with your words um that can never be substituted with uh, a language from another country it's just not possible yeah that is true that that it's um i i think language language is uh, a store of a people's memories as well uh i feel like uh, so for example there's a, a pretty famous container for carrying maize that has a name goro goro like that's the name of the container but it's also used as a measure of grain in the market so you buy grain by the goro goro and with these kinds of, uh, I, I discovered that this name might have originated from a, a great famine, a great period of hunger during which there was a lot of relief maize being distributed and the unit of distribution was this Goro Goro and it stuck from then on as the name of this implement that people use to now, they, now people measure everything in it. It's not just for maize, it's people measure charcoal, people measure fruits, people measure everything by the Goro Goro. And it comes from a period when people suffered greatly and needed to learn this word, you know. So languages do much more for a people and with the language as widely shared as English, it's difficult to, I think it's difficult. I think if, if English is the larger language in a land, it encourages the loss rather than the retention of that land's specific memories. English instead, I think now attempts to 
international or global events rather than specific place uh, events. So I think that as a language, maybe it's important for an individual, therefore, to keep their language and to keep practicing it, because it's only in practicing it that it keeps its its value and its yeah, it's it's uh, the practice of language as a ritual of you know self affirmation and identity. I feel like yeah, it's important for people to to keep their languages and some of the practices of of of, of old. Yeah, has um, the have the practices that you you mentioned this horrific way of teaching English and, and unfortunately stomping on your own cultural language? Has this changed now in schools? Do you think, or is it exactly the same as it was when you were a pupil? The current generation of students uh, is 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 uh, lucky because uh, even the law has shifted to eliminate corporal punishment from schools. But uh, my generation wasn't so lucky because uh, not only did the law still allow it, but I actually think it's it's one of those remnants of uh, a very colonial way of looking at you know yeah. uh, the children of Africans, but. Um, I would, I would say that, uh, yeah, the current generation of children are quite lucky not just to have the law different, but to have us as their parents, who, because uh, <laughs> our parents were not listening to any of this. <laughs> they were going by the Bible, spare the rod. So, you know, the rod was not spared much. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but it's, way, it's funny. Christianity has a huge impact on 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 life over here. It's uh, it's just a thing. As we were talking before about language, you also talked about how language in itself embodied the memories of a culture, um, and in that sentence, you kind of reminded me of another story of your a novel of yours, um, Afropolis. Well, there's this. I think the cool concept you're referring to is the main character who is based on my own self, who is uh, a collector of memories and who uses a specific digital device to harvest these memories. And uh, what's even more interesting is that I, I, find, I find that character to be in a way, perhaps I was trying to create a reflection of myself as a writer. I feel that maybe a writer is kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm still, the jury is still out on, in my own head on what aspect of the, the writing life I was trying to capture with that character. But it's definitely about how I saw, I think I made magical my job as a writer. As a writer, I feel that when I talk to people and they share with me bits of their life, the way that I eventually use these bits of, of their life within my literature and within different fictions is like keeping them in, it's like I preserve this piece of life you know, it, it exists within a story and the story will live longer than you or I. So this thing that one person went through can become something that is uh, 
you know that one one person's experience can become useful for a, a larger collective owing to some technical difficulties that we had on both sides we then had to switch from our live discussion to a different process where i would send questions and um alex would then send me his response so what now follows is that process and the first question i asked him was how liberating was it for you to write music in your own native language? And this is what he had to say. I tried explaining this during our last conversation, though I think there might have been issues uh, and maybe you didn't uh, hear me explaining it very clearly. I was trying to say that there might be some things that need telling in a language specific to a certain culture in order for the memory of that culture and their identity to not disappear. I feel that working in indigenous languages preserves the memory of indigenous cultures and it does it in a way that is perhaps more secure than working in a more hegemonic language such as the English language. So that's the reason why I, I feel particularly privileged to be able to create music in my own uh, mother tongue. And yeah, I still mix it up with the uh, languages that you could say were, were taught by the system at the expense of uh, mother tongues because by so doing I managed to make my music accessible to everyone who shares in those other languages as well but intrinsically I'd say my job as I see it is to contribute to the memory of my culture and uh, my people so working in my mother tongue is important for, for doing that. What is the story behind Bilane? Question two. What is the story behind Bilane? Um, I play a Luo traditional instrument called the Nyatiti. And uh, on one occasion, me and my music producer, a young guy named Abdallah Masood, we went to his studio. Uh, it's somewhere in in Kibera in Nairobi. It's called uh, Hitbox Studios. And uh, we were attempting to use this, the unique sound of the Nyatiti to create um, a, a, a work of electronic music. What ended up happening is that our experiment sort of uh, failed. If we could give it a ranking out of 100, we got about 55 you know uh, so it, it wasn't a satisfactory experiment in as far as what we wanted to create was concerned but we learned a lot and uh, even more interesting is that one of the senior producers at the studio Danville was watching and he listened to the product we made during this experiment and I think it gave him some ideas on how he could use the Nyatiti so on another occasion when, when we went to the studio, uh, he offered to, to help us make a beat using the Nyatiti. 
and his expertise is a certain local flavor that has gangeton and a bit of a, you know, a kapuka sound, but adding the nyatiti to it gave it an even deep, deeper cultural flavor by adding that element of the Lua traditional instrument. So, and the fact that all the three of us who are collaborating on the song are Luas made it also interesting in terms of the language. So that's how Bilane got made as a, as a second follow-up experiment to a first one that didn't do so well. And we really liked the sound of Bilane uh, when it came. So that's why when you asked me to give you a sample of what my music sounds like, I shared it with you. But actually, that's not the final version that you, that you heard. Um, think of it as a, uh, this is actually the first time ever that Bilane is probably going to be shared outside of the people who made it. So yeah, there's a way in which this is a, a bit of a red carpet debut for, <laughs> for Bilane to the world. But yeah, and uh, I'd like, I'll definitely be trying to infuse this traditional instrument into more of my music uh, after this. Um, and big up to Danville from Hitbox Records for his contribution to the vibe. It's a, it's a classic party song, you know, uh, hedonistic excesses galore. If you get a translation, you'll understand, but the young people will definitely dance to that one. In our podcast, Flora touched on this topic as well, but in your songs, I can hear combinations of languages. How do you learn when to infuse a certain foreign word into your stories for maximum effect? And is there a secret understanding for doing this? Question three. Um, is there a particular method or technique to mixing the languages? And my answer is, it's half method, half inspiration. Let me explain. Uh, I find myself using uh, English for the last parts of the lines a lot of the time because I feel that... Uh, it makes the rhyme scheme have a familiarity to people who, you know, because, you know, in, in, in terms of influence where hip hop is concerned, of course, a lot of the influences are the same. And where those influences are concerned, you could say I learned how to rhyme by listening to the hip hop greats. And so in terms of my rhyme schemes, when I choose how I'm going to rhyme at the end and I use the English, I definitely make it spicy in different ways uh, to make sure that it's a familiar rhyme scheme. But the bulk of my content, though, that's delivered either in Doluo or in Sheng or in Swahili. So essentially, it's four languages that I use, uh, Doluo, English, Swahili, and Sheng. And for each of them, there is no, I don't feel like I have a, if there's a bias, it's there for Doluo. I would love for most of my music to be expressed in Doluo, but all these other languages are a part of me. And uh, honestly, when I write, I'm not really thinking about the languages that much. When I write, I'm just expressing how I feel. And yeah, it turns out I have multilingual feelings. 
if you might put it like that. But yeah, uh, half half inspiration and vibe, half method. I I would say that's the technique. This one is a bonus on my part uh, because I remember specifically the question I was answering when the last conversation was interrupted by bad network. And I was trying to explain to you how I feel that uh, perhaps a writer's job is to observe everyone and interact with everyone in an observation mode, as well as, you know, being present yourself is a way in which you need to be a bit detached and observing yourself. And in so doing, you're able to, 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 to take seeds of memory from each individual you interact with or you observe. And these inspire in different ways uh, parts of your fiction. And so you could say you add to the collective memory what everyone has to contribute. You are some sort of a scribe for the culture and the collective that you belong to. And this is something that people try to do along the lines of cultural identity most of the time, but also religious identity and that kind of thing. So I consider myself a person writing into the historical memory of the Luo people when I create my stories and when I create my music. That's how I see myself. And yeah, I think that's what writers intrinsically might be meant to do. To sign off, I'd say I really enjoyed talking to you, Zach. And um, yeah, uh, I'll just make this last point. Uh, a favorite uh, author of mine, author and thinker, Walter Benjamin, says, the angel of time flies backwards into the future. And he paints this picture trying to describe how humanity experiences time. So when I talk of writing into the memory of a certain collective, into the memory of a certain collective, adding to that memory through writing, but you could say perhaps I am writing what this collective refers to as it flies backwards into the future. Uh, I think contained within the writings of storytellers like myself are the seeds of how the future can be navigated and these seeds are contained in the memories which we have preserved. So yeah, I'd say as a storyteller, that's how I see myself ultimately. Otherwise, I'll invite you guys to I'd invite you guys to look up Omission Josh on all the different social media channels, especially Instagram and Kofi, as well as Twitter. O-M-I-S-H-N-J-A-S-H. Also look up my official name, Alexander Ikawa. And Alexander Ikawa, you'll find me on X, formerly Twitter, as well as on Facebook. 
And yeah, I definitely would like you all to check out my coffee page, ko-fi.com. Look for a mission dash there. I keep a, a, a small uh, running commentary on the work that I'm doing in the Nairobi art space. And uh, for those who feel inclined, there's a little button you can press to buy me, as they say, a coffee to keep these artists <laughs> fed and <laughs> able to create more art. Otherwise, it's been a pleasure, Zach, and I hope we can talk some more.